You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 360. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Annika Harrison. See ya! Hello! No, hey son, hey son. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. So um, Pontus uh, had to skip this one. Couldn't make it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some last minute emergency situation to deal with. It, it happens. So Annika, how have you been? Good. Um, little sleep, but uh, optimistic. <laughs> we, we ran into the classical toddler thing, which is like sick partners sick daughter <laughs> okay yeah. the two of which i just saw walking in front of the camera and um well i have i have to say that uh, luna looked a little weird look looked like a pumpkin <laughs> yeah she was she was wearing her pumpkin hat from halloween she loves it <laughs> <laughs> so that's not part of the sickness <laughs> Okay, that's good. That's very reassuring. It's, it's good to know that, uh, that she's okay otherwise. Yeah. It's like she, she's getting there. I'm again, like, really, really thankful for modern medicine because, uh, like, she she has a bronchitis. And, um, yeah, without modern medicine, like, without antibiotics and without mm. breathing uh, medication, I don't know how, how well she would be right now. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful for modern medicine and uh, thankful that the pharmacy also had it because I don't know if you know that, but Germany has a bit of a shortage with um, children medication at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> is it since COVID? Not really. Yeah, yeah. Like since COVID, but COVID only added to the problem. It was also it's also a, okay. a question of the German system in itself. But that's its own to- topic. Like that would be a, <laughs> its own segment almost. So <laughs> <laughs> I won't, don't want to go into detail here. But yeah, let's let's just stick with that. She's getting better, and mm-hmm. we can do the recording tonight. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah. Thank you, science. <laughs> exactly. Well, unfortunately, there is something that is not as simple. So science is involved, technology is involved, but a lot of other factors are involved that uh, made it fail. And I'm referring to the recent UK space launch on the or, or rather the attempt of it. And why I think it's important to mention this is because in the last couple of episodes, we have been covering a couple of topics related to uh, space launches and how spaceports are being sprung up um, all over the place and Europe is is planning to have their own. So, yeah, we vaguely mentioned that in the UK there are several planned things. Among them, there is a place called Newquay in Cornwall, in, which is in the UK, and uh, there is a spaceport there that is in the future planned to be used by the American company Virgin Orbit. Well, it's part of the Virgin group originally built by an Englishman, Richard Branson, of course. But there were very high hopes, and the the concept is, and the idea was that uh, there is. A, a large Boeing 747, a jumbo jet that will carry a rocket up to the higher atmosphere and then release it. And from there, it's an easier job for a rocket to put payload onto orbit. 
around the Earth. <laughs> Funnily, the jumbo jet that's involved is called Cosmic Girl, which I really like. It's, it's a really cool name for that. Yes. And that part of the launch went pretty well, but unfortunately, the second stage uh, had a bit of a problem with the engine. And as a result, the satellites that w- would have been launched were lost. And uh, this was considered a failure. So uh, it's a good idea. It could have worked, but unfortunately, there were unforeseen things that uh, could have affected this launch. Mm-hmm. So this is bad news. A lot of spectators were there, including a lot of VIP people, like 2,000 people at Nuki Airport. But unfortunately, they had to be disappointed with this particular launch. Um a lot of people involved, including Melissa Thorpe, who heads the spaceport, and are very optimistic about the future, that they will find the source of the failure and it will be done again. But this is how science works. And uh, it's just a reminder that, and this is what some of the politicians included as well, did mention, specifically the UK science minister, George Freeman, for example, that uh, unfortunately, space is still hot. It's not within easy reach. It's still a challenge to get shit up there. This was not his words, of course. (laughs) But, (laughs) But yeah, so it's still a challenge. It's still technically although doable and it could be easier but there's a lot of things that could go wrong and this is why we never take any launch for granted Mm -hmm. it's not like a jet just taking off like we do every day across the world it's not like that it's much more difficult it's much more challenging of a job but keep at it people yeah exactly and We'll see how it works in the future, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it's always exciting, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. How involved is Germany in space exploration? Because I know they play a very big part in ESA, the European Space Agency. Um, that's a good question, but you're asking a German who's herself not very involved in space. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm very fascinated by it, but I don't know a lot about it. I'm pretty ignorant. I'll do some research on that and come uh, back to that question next week. <laughs> do you remember when after the European Skeptics Congress, Susan Gerbic, Mark Edward, uh, Lyubo Baburov and myself went on a bit of a tour across Europe, including Germany? Yeah, about time, yeah. Yeah, about time. You went to ESA, didn't you? Yeah, and we went to, is it Darmstadt? Where the it probably is <laughs> uh, European Space mm-hmm. Operations, the the control center was there, and uh, and 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 we were there, and we went into the room, and I was so fascinating. So um, in that regard, I do know that um, Germany is very much involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fun memories. Yeah, awesome. and <laughs> speaking of Susan Gerbic, I hope you're listening, Susan, because this is a little bit for you as well. <laughs> what's coming up? Now. (laughs) (laughs) And that is, of course, this week in skeptical history, also known as Twish. So, what am I referring to? Well, we all know that uh, the idea of an encyclopedia, of uh, some, some, some kind of a collection of the general knowledge of humanity, has been around for a while, at least from the 18th century onwards. But even earlier than that, like, like uh, some people refer back to the Library of Alexandria, 
Mm-hmm. But was supposed to be that kind of a collection as well. But we also mentioned Dennis Diderot on uh, Twitch on episode 346, who was uh, the main contributor of a project that was called Encyclopedia. But as the internet came about, obviously, a lot of people started to think that this might be the best place to compile all the knowledge of humanity into one large collection and make it available to the public. So some different projects uh, started springing up, but then towards the end of 2000, a couple of guys, including Jimmy Wells and Larry Sanger, um, they were working on something that was called Newpedia. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Newpedia, but Newpedia was a peer-reviewed kind of encyclopedia project with lots of experts working on different fields but they tried to bring together all the experts and there was an editor-in-chief as well uh, working on the project and that was Larry Sanger. Mm -hmm. However, there was this idea that this could be opened up to the public and um, there was a guy by the name Jeremy Rosenfeld who introduced uh, these two, Jimmy Wales and Larry Sanger, to the the so-called wiki concept, which was also a collection of knowledge but on different fields and people had already been using the wikis as a tool and obviously there was a considerable pushback from editors of Newpedia because that was more of an elitist kind of thing but Sanger as a result suggested that we could possibly do something that is built on a wiki much more open and it's available to edit for everyone out there who's interested in doing such a work and this is how the idea of Wikipedia came about Mm -hmm. and it was launched with its own domain up on the suggestion of Sangers and that all happened on the 15th of January 2001. So 22 years ago on the 15th of January Wikipedia as a project was launched. Exciting. (laughs) It is exciting. Yeah. And uh, at the beginning, it was all done on the servers of Bomis, a large IT company. Uh, Many, many of whom were involved were also employees of uh, of that company. And... uh, also, there there were a couple of test edits made by, by Jimmy Wells, but uh, the first actual articles have been preserved for historical purposes. <laughs> Not very significant ones, but historically, they are significant. And it really went viral soon after the launch. By mid-February, mind you, it was launched on the 15th of January. By mid-February, more than a thousand articles were available. So there was a lot of enthusiasm involved as well. And do you know what languages were the first versions that were non-English? Good question. Um, but I don't know. I would, I would guess maybe Spanish? Uh-huh. <laughs> Not really. The first was German and the second was French. Oh. <laughs> Even more shameful that we don't have that many editors. Hint, hint, German listeners. Yeah, <laughs> more on that later. More on that later. So by the end of that year, 2001, more than a dozen languages were in operation. And what's really cool about it is that since it has grown into a global, a truly global community of around 45 million editors, well, that's how many accounts are registered with Wikipedia on different language platforms. And those people put a lot of work into making reliable information available. 
some languages suffer, but that's only a matter of how many people share the burden. And this is why some languages uh, suffer from a misinformation problem, because there are not enough editors to weed out the bullshit and to make sure that it's the correct information that's available. But it, with the English language version, it's usually not the case. So some articles are so reliable that even the WHO points to them as a good reference page, uh, like with several different diseases like HIV and measles and, and all that, that those have been specifically recommended by WHO. So a couple more landmarks. March of 2006, more than a million English articles have already been present. So in less than five years. Now there are about 1,800 of these articles created per day, and we are currently at over 6.6 million English articles. Wow. Which is mind-blowing. And even more than that are available in all the other languages. And when it comes to the English one, just to put it in perspective, it would fill about 3,100 volumes in a book format of encyclopedia, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's that's massive. <laughs> yeah. So there have been a lot of changes, but Wikipedia's editorial rules, as we both know, and some of our listeners know as well, are very close to our skeptical hearts mm -hmm. because the articles need to be well referenced. The references need to be from reliable sources. Only published materials can be used. Not a place for original research publications, Wikipedia is. So it's really cool that it's a collection of knowledge and you have to be pointing at reliable sources. Mm -hmm. And this is how I believe that the whole idea of a project, a skeptical Wikipedia project, came about. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Susan Gerbeck also re often referred to as the Wikipediatrician, which I really like. <laughs> well-deserved so, yeah. <laughs> it's well-deserved, yeah. So I believe it was launched around 2010. And the idea was that a lot of people use Wikipedia as the first stop when they research something, when they look for something on the internet. And a lot of people uh, from the skeptical community or scientists, science communicators who go on television, radio, media, talking about stuff that are important to us, we need to have, as Susan refers to it, their wiki backs. So mm -hmm. when people hear from them or see them, uh, they will look, look them up on the internet. And we need to make sure that there is enough and reliable information about those people on the internet, but not only about those people, but also about the different topics. So this is what uh, Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia does, and it's an international group of editors led by the brilliant Susan Gerbeck. And um, even though the group and its activities has been surrounded by a lot of controversy, we don't shy away from working on controversial topics either. And Susan recently announced that the, the published articles that are either articles that have been written from scratch or completely rewritten or major additions or corrections or, or major changes have been made to these articles. So the number of these articles have reached 2,100 
and 45% of them are in languages other than English, which is a, an even greater achievement because mm-hmm. getting something done in English is easier because of the number of editors. But Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia is an international project. The total reach of these articles is getting close to 130 million page views. And that is even more, more mind-blowing. As Susan and the others in the group like to say, if you edit Wikipedia with us, you'll be educating the world in your sleep. (laughs) I like that saying so much. (laughs) That's just brilliant. Mm -hmm. So on the occasion that the original project of Wikipedia has just turned 22, I would like to draw everyone's attention to this existing project among skeptics, guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia. So if you're interested, if you want to contribute, if you want to have an impact, come and join us. Nobody expects you to spend all your free time with it. Just whatever time you can allocate to it is fine because you will be having an impact. So get in touch with either us or directly with Susan Gerbic and inquire about how you can get involved because it's amazing. Wikipedia is amazing. But I think Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia, GSOW, is even more so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, why wouldn't we agree? Both of us are a member of Yeah, Sigma. it's just like we're a bit, <laughs> bit of preaching the choir among ourselves here. But <laughs> Yes, but the, we could still do a lot more with a lot more editors. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, come and join us. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> I haven't done much lately, but uh, about a month ago, I published a completely new article, both in English and Hungarian. So Awesome. What what I did the the most recent thing it was also was in December mm-hmm. uh, no in November actually that was that I recorded uh, Dr. Carl uh, like his introduction and uploaded it <laughs> yes mm-hmm. uploaded it so now it's attached to yeah, his page exactly okay so yeah and that's that's always something that I like to do because it enhances the page but also conserves the the voice so to say you know yeah <laughs> and that kind of contribution makes you feel a little bit special as well that like like i added something to the global community i i really contributed here uh even if it's a small thing even if if it's a, a, a correcting a typo mm-hmm. even if it's adding one piece of information or adding the voice of probably the greatest living science communicator of australia <laughs> <laughs> to mm-hmm. the, his wikipedia page so it's important exactly all right so uh, without further ado, I think we should move on. And unfortunately, since Pontus is not here, the Pope remains unpoked today. <laughs> unpoked Pope. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about what has been going on in Europe. Yes, and we always we always love the Nazi myths that are coming up, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, of course, not a Holocaust denier. I'm not talking about the Nazi thing. But what came up actually is a map. A map that was um, in an archive in the Netherlands for the last decades. And it has now um, been been published and it's said to lead to gold and jewels hidden by the Nazis during the Second World War. And that, of course, what, what would you do if, if someone tells you, oh, here's a map, it's in this city, 
and um, there's gold and jewels there. Well, of course, you all get your metal detectors out <laughs> and try to find the treasure. <laughs> so, funnily enough, the city of Omoran got uh, overrun <laughs> by, by people looking for these items. It's believed that this is out of a bank robbery um, and it would lead to four large boxes filled with diamonds, rubies, gold, silver and lots of different jewelry. And they seem to have fallen into the hands of the Nazis um, after they robbed a bank in 1944. <laughs> and then he did. And this map has been kept in the Netherlands, as I said. So, yeah, of course, uh, <laughs> pretty pretty funny that they were everywhere uh, in Omoren and tried to find it. But it's, of course, not really a good, good chance to still find it. It's also a chance that it doesn't really exist. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> especially because it's a map that only shows you three trees and a red cross. Well, you know that these three trees could even be cut down or be only one tree anymore. And mm. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. And as we, as I said, uh, we don't really even know if if the treasure exists, but it could also have have been um, found already like decades ago and just slowly being fed into the market by someone who found it. Who knows, you know? <laughs> and yeah, it's. I mean, it's always interesting to, to do a bit of a treasure hunt, but of course, we should always stay skeptical. Yeah, see so yeah, how, how this unfolds. I have my doubts. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of unfolding stuff, unfortunately, there is a pseudo-documentary that is an American production, but it's uh, gaining real ground here in Europe as well. Don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Died Suddenly. Mm -hmm. And... Obviously, because of um, all the alleged censorship of uh, YouTube and the other platforms, uh, they uploaded it onto Rumble on the 21st of November 2022. Now, so far, it has been viewed about 15 million times, and they set up a Twitter um, handle as well, uh, hundreds of thousands of followers are there for that. And that is a good example of how Twitter has become the sandbox of uh, pseudoscientists and the propagators of madness. So, but why it has a European angle is because they're unfortunately one of the Hungarian MPs by the name du uh, Dora Duro, who's a member of the party that's called Our Homeland. So, well, you can probably guess what the political leaning of that party is <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> by the name Our Homeland. Uh, <laughs> so she's been very critical about the COVID-related restrictions and, uh, well, expressed a lot of skepticism about, well, not the right kind of skepticism about um, vaccinations as well. But uh, she is unfortunately featured on this pseudo-documentary movie as well. And a um, couple of minutes of her speech in Parliament about that was used, a uh, short footage of that couple of minutes speech. And she tries to find out what the reason behind a low number or, or a lowering of the number of uh, births in the beginning of 2022 was and obviously she blames COVID-19 based on 
a researcher at the Institute of Economy who goes by the name Chabatot. <laughs> and he that, that researchers had said that, um, interestingly, uh, nine months after the COVID vaccination started to be made available in Hungary, uh, the number of births was really dropping down to about 20%. And there are a couple of problems with that. So th- this woman, the MP, Dora Duro, should not have used that, especially not that kind of statement, because of two things. First of all, it doesn't necessarily mean that the COVID vaccinations were responsible for the, the lower death. So the assumption was made by um, Dora Duro and the makers of the movie that it was because the COVID-19 vaccines caused infertility in women in Hungary, which is absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. But the other problem with this uh, original statement that she used in her parliamentary speech is that uh, the drop in the birth at the beginning of 2022 was not by 20%, but only by 10%. So it's factually wrong as well. Yeah, so those are the only two problems. However, when we look through all the evidence, like the the article published by Italian researchers, they were doing a systematic review of 29 independent research pieces. And they concluded that there is absolutely no indication of a correlation between the vaccinations and infertilities. So um, those are just one part of the problems. And the other thing that I'd like to uh, say about this movie, apart from the fact that a Hungarian MP is featured on it, well, let's just say that even though she was wrong in the first place in quoting that guy, then she drew drew the, the wrong conclusions. Even her speech was taken out of context when it was used for the movie. So this is wrong on so many different levels. And then (laughs) it doesn't keep the members of the uh, movement called Doctors for Seeing Clearly uh, from, um, well, propagating that nonsense. Mm -hmm. So they have been sharing the movie like crazy on social media as of late. So this is how nonsense gets propagated. And um, it's very unfortunate, but what can we do? We try to open uh, the public's eyes. Mm -hmm. And uh, a a good shout-out to Lakmus, which is the very cool fact-checking organization, Hungarian fact-checking organization, who spotted this and uh, drew our attention to it. Yeah, and fact-checkers are always important, um, especially when it comes to something um, that's one of our favorite myths, I think, um, as humankind. (laughs) Okay. And that is Nessie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Ness is always cool. Yeah, I mean, um, when I've been to Scotland the first time, uh, I was hard pressed to not buy all the merch that had like Nessie on it because I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's cool and that's cool and that's funny. But the thing is, people actually believe in Nessie at times. <laughs> and now there has been a really cool article in the Skeptic. And there, Stuart Campbell actually writes another explanation of why Nessie is very likely not there and uh, what could explain Nessie. And um, it's actually really cool. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's a phenomenon that you can see in lakes that are long and narrow. 
and mostly calm. <laughs> and that is mm. that uh, water gets pushed out by the boat into a wake, um, which is almost like a wave. <laughs> and uh, it, there will always be like one in the front and two in the back, which is like one done by the bows. And the other one is um, the propeller, usually, if there's a propeller. Mm -hmm. And the special angle by the bows is called the Kelvin wake. It's always at a specific angle that is 19.5 degrees in both both directions. So um, you can probably imagine that um, it, it always looks like a triangle um, without a base behind a ship. Like we all know that, I think. Mm -hmm. The thing is that if you see this on a very calm lake after a boat has come past and you see it from the side, that it can look like like a monster that's sticking its hand, head out because you just see the waves from the side. That's not the lonely example or the only explanation. But the thing is that in, in lakes like Loch Ness, the wakes will also be reflected back if they run into a steep shore. <laughs> so that means a boat comes in, um, this wave or wake gets created and then it gets reflected back and the boat is gone already and it's still there and sometimes it even like meets the the wave from the other side for like the reflection from the other side and then collides again and then turns again so <laughs> it can be that the calm water actually has these waves in it that you can't don't see at first and that can be mm -hmm. surprisingly complicated surprisingly tall too yeah and it, it feels probably exactly like a, a monster just tried to um, come up under your boat <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. yeah and these upheavals in the water can yeah can be there when there's no no boat there anymore and it can also if the if the lighting is is bad if the water's a bit muddy it can even look like um a boat or a creature coming up because it's a uh, Yeah, disturbing the water. Mm, oh yeah. So yeah, um, it's it's really interesting, um, and it's also a really good explanation, I have to say. So yeah, I'm always excited to read these explanations because they explain it so well. <laughs> so we'll put the article, the very good article by Stuart Campbell, in the show notes, and yeah, give it a read. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, there are other things that are a little bit more difficult to tackle, like mm -hmm. uh, people's beliefs in terms of everyday stuff. Because, uh, yeah, belief in a weird creature of sorts, it's a, it's a marginal thing. It doesn't affect your life. However... When it comes here to healthcare, health-related beliefs, uh, it's much more of a problem. Mm -hmm. So this is what uh, Spanish researchers uh, set out to investigate. And uh, they were trying to evaluate with an online survey, collecting data from uh, several different platforms, including uh, Reddit, um, Hispachan, uh, which is a Spanish-speaking chat-based thing, and uh, two different forums of cancer prevention that what people's attitudes are like towards cancer prevention and and what they believe about cancer and what causes cancer and how this relates to their other kinds of beliefs well it looks like conspiratorial thinking and uh, well anti-vaccination sentiment and belief in lizard people so to speak looks like it is a determining factor as to how much you believe 
of the different myths surrounding cancer and what causes cancer. What am I referring to? When it comes to mythical causes, we we call mythical causes of cancer things that people believe to be true, but are not necessarily so. So like um, eating food containing additives and sweeteners. This is generally believed to be true. Uh, feeling stress and eating genetically modified food is very widespread, that kind of myth. Interestingly, uh, the actual causes of cancer are also known by a lot of people. So what the research showed that was conducted with the participation of 1,494 respondents, among which 209 were unvaccinated against COVID-19, well, 62 of them reported they had like flat earth or reptilian related beliefs. Half of all the participants agreed with the statement, it seems like everything causes cancer, which is obviously wrong. It's something that you cannot say, but it shows you how difficult it is to distinguish between actual facts related to what causes cancer and the myth that are propagated by many, many different sources. And uh, it looks like people who believe in different conspiracies uh, were much more likely to reject COVID-19 vaccines as well. And when it came to cancer treatments, they were much more prone to choosing alternative medicinal practices as opposed to the conventional therapies. So, yeah, interestingly, these people would also be less likely to accept the actual causes of cancer. So mm -hmm. this is an interesting but not at all surprising piece of research. I mean, the results of them, it's a cross-sectional study, but it was interesting that um, the researchers set out to try to evaluate these beliefs. So this shows you how difficult the task of skeptics is especially with a lot of people promoting woo and, and promoting nonsensical approaches. So uh, this leads me to the moment where I'd really like to find out who's been really wrong lately, um, probably for promoting stuff that is, well, untrue. <laughs> Yes, and this week it's actually really interesting because I feel like someone is doing his hereditary duty <laughs> by doing uh, exactly what his father did. Because Prince Harry not only followed a trauma therapy uh, called EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Um, this is to reduce distress in post-traumatic um, situations. Mm -hmm. But it's not really, doesn't really have evidence. It's not really there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it definitely doesn't live up to the expectations. I mean, the evidence doesn't show yes. anything that encourages that level of support that EMDR has at the moment. And Yes, it's, it's like low. We have a couple of members of the Hungarian skeptics uh, who are psychologists, and they are going absolutely mental when they hear about EMDR because it's so rubbish. <laughs> yeah, so it's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. 
But go on. So in an Apple TV series called The Me You Can't See, Prince Harry is undergoing this mentioned EMDR therapy, or quote-unquote therapy. Well done. Uh, but not only did he do that, but even better, hashtag sarcasm, <laughs> he, uh, he went to a woman with special powers. Okay. <laughs> um, and he said that in his autobiography that will come out soon called Spare and here he describes how he went to this woman with with powers who um, he sought out because he was so sad about Diana's death and that's of course like that's legitimate um, that you're sad go see a fucking psychologist man yeah exactly <laughs> like you can be sad uh, it's very understandable if you lose your mom at 12 years that you're sad exactly Therapy might just do more than going to a medium. But yeah, he went to this medium and there this woman said she felt an energy around him and he also apparently felt an energy around her. And then she said, your mother is with you. And um, then he, of course, uh, relayed a message. She said, you're living the life she couldn't. You're living the life she wanted for you. And then, of course, she cold read him and uh, and said, oh, I, I can see an ornament, something that something to do with a grandmother. It fell and it broke. And yeah, yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, Harry's son, Archie, smashed a Christmas ornament of uh, in the shape of his grandmother, Queen Elizabeth the, the second. <laughs> Yeah, toddlers don't do that. Yeah, never. No. Exactly, yeah. And it's like, it's also very <laughs> unlikely that Harry would uh, have a Christmas ornament in the shape of his grandmother, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's like uh, being the son of the king, you know? <laughs> very unlikely. <clears throat> not. Um, yeah, but I want to, of course, not only bash him uh, in good Edzard Ernst tradition, <laughs> I also want to round this up by saying for paddling pseudoscience for paddling this not very evidence-based therapy and for going to someone to claim to have powers and writing about it in his autobiography as someone who people look up to as a member of the royal family prince harry receives this week's prize for being really wrong and it's well deserved thank you thank you especially people If you have such an outreach, if uh, so many people follow you and take you seriously, then you have a responsibility to to them. Yes, exactly. You have to think about what you're doing. And I have a split mind over Oprah Winfrey as well, because I know that from a humanitarian point of view and the encouragement that she means to a lot of people, and especially women and especially women of color, it's absolutely amazing what she has achieved Mm -hmm. but on the other hand she has a large audience and she promotes nonsense and that is intolerable uh it's it's something that that we should not accept yeah as it is and she now has gives a platform to this other well overreaching idiot who just doesn't know what to do with himself (laughs) uh i don't know yeah I mean, he's a nice guy. He's probably a lovely person, but he should act much more responsible than this. Yeah. At least do it in secret. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, don't do it at all. But if you have to, don't write about it in your autobiography. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. Thank you very much for that, Annika. Thank you. And uh, before we finish the show, as usual, I'd like to ask you to share a quote with us. 
Yes. Um, and this is a quote by someone who uh, probably doesn't need an introduction. Um, and that is Stephen Hawking. Um, someone I deeply deeply admire yeah so he was for those who don't know him <laughs> he was a british physicist and was born in 1942 died in 2018 and he's very well known for his work and he's one of the pop stars basically of science yeah but i don't want to go on uh, fangirling too long <laughs> <laughs> i'll just read out the quote and the quote is I believe the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created the universe and no one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe and for that I am extremely grateful. End quote. And so are we. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessary to believe in any kind of supernatural force to admire nature and the forces of nature. Exactly. It's it's even more um, for me. It's like if I, for example, when we were in Australia and you just look at the sky with the, all the stars and you're just like, it's so humbling. Yeah. But in a way of like, I even find it more beautiful to know that not someone created that who also yeah. wants me to do things and whatever. But that this just like happened and this isn't that yeah. amazing that's so cool we're all made of stardust you know <laughs> even more fascinating it's just, yes it's just cool yeah that makes yeah. it special <laughs> yeah yeah on that very positive and very very uh, cool note i'd like to we finish that, yeah. <laughs> yeah we yes i think this is the best note to finish the episode on mm -hmm. so i'd like to thank you onika for joining me today thank you many many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in Please keep doing so. And until next week, when hopefully Pontus will be back. Goodbye. Tschüss. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe It really went... Sorry. And it really went viral. No, went. Mm -hmm. Went. It's not... Sorry. Went. Yeah. And it, I don't know why, why I did that. Exactly. <laughs> sorry, someone just came inside. Mama's tea. Dankeschön. <laughs> Dankeschön. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Andras, genau. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> she just said cuddle cuddle <laughs> cuddle cuddle oh my god hello hello <laughs> Cuddle, cuddle. Cuddle, cuddle. That's really cute. Cuddle, cuddle. Cuddle, cuddle. Pontus ist nicht Enjoyed da, Schätzchen. Pontus muss da arbeiten. Okay. Okay, that was really cute. They came in and Scotty was like, quiet. And she was like, Adidi. Okay, we can go on, sorry. 